This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Daniel Defense, the gun manufacturer whose AR-15 assault rifles were used to kill 19 children and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, has maintained a familiar silence after the massacre. It's common practice for gun makers to absolve themselves of responsibility when their weapons are used for mass murder, as if they're mere bystanders whose products were misused against their will. But my next guest writes, quote, evidence shows that the culture around guns contributes significantly to gun violence and firearm manufacturers have played a major role in influencing American gun culture. Michael Siegel is visiting professor in the Department of Public Health and Community Medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine. Welcome to the program, Michael. Oh, thanks for inviting me. So first, let's talk about um, what this, uh, you know, what, what this shooting represents for you in terms of the culture around gun violence. What we've learned in the days after the horrific shooting was that this 18-year-old kid bought two AR-15 rifles very easily on his birthday and clearly had a fascination with guns. He talked about it. He talked about violence in um, direct communication with others. So what, what, is, what are your major takeaways from this specific shooting about guns and gun culture? Well, I think that you just have to look at the fact that an 18-year-old was able to walk into a store, purchase two uh, semi-automatic uh, military-style rifles, no questions asked. Um, you know, that shouldn't be possible. There's, there are very few countries in the world where you can do that. Um, you know, and the United States has a unique problem with gun violence. There are plenty of other countries that have plenty of mental health issues, plenty of troubled uh, young people who are going through severe, uh, you know, turbulent times and, and difficulties and may have mental health issues, but nobody else has the, the kind of gun violence problem we have. So. You really have to look at what's happening in terms of um, people's access to guns. What, that's really the issue. The issue is why does somebody who may be at great risk have such easy access to guns? In the days uh, after the shooting, the gun manufacturer in question, whose guns were used, whose assault rifles were used in this horrific massacre, was found to have had an ad featuring a toddler, not just teenagers or elementary school kids, but a toddler, I mean, a literal baby holding a gun, an AR, an assault rifle, a baby holding an assault rifle on its lap. Um, what do we know specifically about what this particular gun manufacturer, he's, this Daniel's defense seems to basically be in line with most major gun manufacturers when it comes to marketing firearms to kids, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is corporate marketing. You know, this is what manufacturers do when there's no regulation. Um, they take advantage of it. And so, yeah, the, it seems extreme to show a, a baby with an assault rifle, but that's what happens when you have essentially an unregulated market. And that's what we have with, with firearms. Um, there is literally no regulation of firearm advertising. Um, that's inexcusable for something that's such a dangerous product. 
Um, the clearly the the company is trying to frame this as as kind of an innocent uh, an innocent almost like a toy, pairing it with a baby, and um, clearly that's having a detrimental effect in our culture. And a lot of young people uh, are looking to these types of weapons now. With that said, it's important to emphasize that we have to look beyond just trying to get rid of these weapons themselves, because if it's not an assault weapon, it will be some other weapon. And there are plenty of lethal firearms that you can get your hands on, even, even without buying an assault weapon, um, that are capable of you know, going into a classroom and shooting 20, 20 people in, in, in a few seconds. Um, so I think what we really need to start paying attention to is not necessarily the weapon itself, but who has access to the weapon. And the goal should be to try to keep these firearms out of the hands of people who are at the greatest risk. And the truth is that we know what works. We have a, a suite of four laws that our research suggests, if passed together, would reduce firearm homicides by 35%. And that's number one to require a permit to buy a gun. Number two, to require universal background checks for every gun purchase. Number three, to make it uh, illegal for anyone with a history of violence to obtain a gun. And then number four, to have what are called red flag laws, meaning that if somebody falls through the cracks um, and is able to get a gun, but they're viewed to be a high risk, um, you can, you can take the gun away after a due process hearing. And so with these four laws, you could reduce firearm violence by 35%. There's no reason why every state shouldn't have those laws in place. And there's certainly no reason why the federal government shouldn't put those laws in place. Right. We are at a point where our president thinks that there are some reasonable Republicans who will compromise with him on gun violence or and gun control, rather. And yet, of course, there are. Um, if we didn't have our filibuster law, rules in the Senate, uh, Democrats could just do this. But it's two Democrats standing in the way of changing these filibuster laws, uh, Kristen Sinema and uh, Joe Manchin. And so federal level action is elusive to say the least. And you have a situation where 18 year olds aren't allowed to do lots of things legally, but they are allowed to buy uh, assault weapons. And you know, when, when we look at what happened in Uvalde where you had police who were afraid of confronting a person with legally obtained weapons, then how are any of us safe if the if the force that is meant to protect us from violence cannot face a weapon that was legally obtained, then none of us are safe. I mean, that's setting aside what police are really there for, uh, which is the topic of another conversation. But um, these AR-15 rifles we're reading now, I mean, they are weapons of war, right? I mean, I I mean the idea of, of a shooter aiming them they don't just shoot you, they destroy, they explode bodies. Well, I mean, you make a good point in saying that, you know, an 18 year old in this country, they can't even buy an electronic cigarette if they wanted to. They can't legally buy a, a, a glass of alcohol if they wanted to have a single drink. Um, it's absurd that we, they can't buy, you know, an electronic cigarette or a, a, a drink of alcohol, but they can go out and buy 
an assault rifle that may have 30, uh, a 30 capacity uh, magazine that, you know, can essentially create a, tra a tragedy like this. Uh, no questions asked. And, and that's not, you know, that's just not tenable. Now, people ask me, you know, well, when is this going to end? This keeps happening again and again. And I'll tell you the answer, this will end when the Republicans in Congress are willing to stand up to the NRA. Our research shows that all four of these laws that I mentioned that would have a 35% decline in homicide, all four of these laws are strongly supported, not just by the public, but by gun owners in particular. And so the great tragedy here, the second great tragedy here, is that you have a set of laws that gun owners support and these Republican lawmakers are blocking them. They can't even make the argument that you know they're standing up for gun owners or that they're trying to make sure that gun rights aren't infringed because none of these laws infringe on gun rights. That's why gun owners support them. And they're not protecting themselves from their constituency. I mean, their constituents overwhelmingly support these laws. And so the only one, the truth is that the only one that they're protecting is the, the National Rifle Association. That is the sole purpose of their uh, voting against and blocking these laws is that they are afraid. They're literally afraid of the NRA. And it, become, it seems as though it's become a sort of social wedge issue as well, that uh, it's not, you know, it, ultimately it becomes about the story that Republicans tell their constituents, uh, that it, be, it becomes about freedom, that any uh, giving in to any support for gun control is a caving into democratic demands. It's a relinquishing of American freedoms. Um, so I'm, I'm even wondering if it really is about the NRA uh, because, you know, the NRA is one organization. Sure, the NRA gives tons of money to lots of Republicans, including Ted Cruz and all of those who just days after 19 children were shot in the very same state attended the NRA convention shamelessly. Even the governor of Texas, who initially said that he might not attend and then showed up electronically. But um, I'm wondering if it's more about giving into gun control measures is a victory for Democrats. It's a sign that we're weak and therefore we won't do it. It's become part of these horrific culture wars in our nation. I think that you're right that this issue has been kind of plugged in to the, the culture war we're seeing. Um, but I want to emphasize that this is a charade, mm -hmm. you know, that this is not an issue of freedom. Um, the Republicans who are, who are, refusing to, to support these laws, they're not supporting freedom. They're not standing up for freedom. Um, because if you can't go to a school and if you can't send your child to a school without worrying about them coming home uh, alive, that's not much of a free society. Of course, um, really, one of the things really that they're responding freedom, with is saying, I mean, I'm literally hearing Texas Republicans saying, well, maybe we need to not have schools. Maybe we need to turn to homeschooling. I mean, that is there. That is what some Republicans are saying. <laughs> I mean, if it's, it's, you know, they're so unwilling. I mean, you're, you're right that this issue has become so polarized that it's not, it's no longer about the issue. It's really about um, a cultural identity. Um, but I think that, that if we learn one thing from, from public health, and this is a public health issue, is that we can defeat that, we can change that. You know, the same thing was true with tobacco. 
Um, I've been working in the tobacco field for 30 years. And it used to be part of the culture war and the tobacco industry would argue that this is, you know, if we stop, if we don't let people smoke in, in restaurants or, or workplaces that we're infringing on, on, on freedom and what's gonna be next. So we've heard this all before. We've heard this all before. And, and now you can't smoke in these places and nobody's complaining about it. And so what it really takes is politicians who are willing to stand up, to stand up to the NRA and eventually social norms can change, but we need to put pressure on these politicians and we need to call them out for what they are, which is political cowards. Um, they are cowards. That's the truth. If they're not standing up for anything or anyone except the NRA and they're too cowardly to take them on, you know, even young kids are willing to stand up and the, the Parkland kids remember after the Parkland shooting were basically saying, you know, we call BS on the, on the NRA. They were willing to stand up against the NRA. They weren't afraid. Why are these Republican adults, grownups, they're supposed to be, um, why do they lack such courage that they're just not willing to stand up to this gun lobby? Let's talk about how many guns there are in this country, which is uh, something you've written about, uh, an article published in The Conversation uh, that you authored. Uh, six charts show key role firearms makers play in America's gun culture. We are drowning in guns, right? We are, but there are more firearms in this country than people. And yet it's a minority of the population that actually owns the guns. That means we have people who ha buy dozens and maybe hundreds of guns. What they're stockpiling them for is unknown, but uh, how do these gun makers get these Americans to waste good money on weapons of death and destruction. Well, they've used a they've used an advertising campaign that's based on fear. They've been successful in scaring people, and fear is a great motivator and it's a great advertising uh, mechanism. And and they've been able to succeed over the last few decades in making people feel scared that if you don't have a gun, you can't protect yourself, and that there's you know all these criminals out there that are going to break into your house in the middle of the night, and you know. It's, they've racialized the fear as well, and that feeds into uh, a lot of people's uh, people's fears as well. Um, but you know, and this the, is the, this think, is part of the the culture issue we were talking about earlier, right? Absolutely. And but I think what we need to recognize is that despite the fact that there are so many guns out there, it's still in some states in states that have this set of laws it is still incredibly difficult to get a gun and criminals are not doing it. Criminals are not able to get a gun in those states. For example, here in Massachusetts, criminals can't buy guns. They're unable to get guns here. Now that doesn't mean there are no, there's no crime, but there's a lot lower homicide rate than there would be if you could just walk into a store and buy, uh, you know, buy, buy two assault weapons. So the, the bottom line is that these laws do work and that, that despite the what seems to be the intractability of the problem, despite, despite the fact that the NRA seems to have an immense amount of power, despite the fact that there seems to be a culture war, despite the fact that there are so many guns out there, this is solvable. This is actually a solvable problem and it's not a difficult solution. And not only that, but the solutions that we have are supported by the overwhelming percent, <laughs> percent of the public and by gun owners, and even by Republican gun owners. You know, our survey looked at specifically Republican gun owners and found that the majority of them 
support these particular laws. I mean, they all agree that our goal should be to get to keep guns out of the hands of people who are at high risk for violence. You know, one of the things I want to pick up on what you were saying about the, the, the racialized fears that gun manufacturers are creating uh, and shaping our culture with um, in the you know, within minutes of the news coming out that there was an active shooter in Uvalde and because there were reports that it was Border Patrol that ultimately ended up um, pushing their way into or unlocking the door and shooting the, uh, the mass shooter, there were reports and speculations that it was an undocumented immigrant who had crossed the border to massacre children. Immediately, those fears bubbled up in people on the right who are, of course, enmeshed in this culture. And I'm wondering if in the ads that you are seeing by these gun manufacturers, that they generally present white people with guns, white people using guns or white children in front of guns. I mean, I don't recall it, but I haven't studied it. Like you have black folks or brown folks being shown using guns as a weapon of freedom. Well, I mean, the reality is that the history of, of the control of guns in this, in this country has been based on the fear of, um, black people rising up and, 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 and using violence to, to stand up for their, for their rights and to fight oppression. The only times that we've really had strong gun control measures passed, most of the gun control laws were passed in 1968, right in the wake of, uh, you know, the Black Panthers and other black militant groups that, that were standing up for their rights. And it, the reason why we had gun control was to keep guns out of the hands of black people and, and to keep essentially white control over black people. That's the only impetus that's really led to gun wow. control. And so the reality is that the greatest infringement of gun rights is occurring. There are There is infringement of gun rights, but those are gun rights of African-Americans. You know, we've incarcerated um, huge numbers of African-Americans. They're unable to, unable to get guns. The, the, the only real restrictions, uh, the only major Second Amendment violations that have been occurring have occurred for the black population. And despite all the NRA's complaints about, you know, these laws having universal background checks is gonna interfere with the Second Amendment, um, it's the racialized fear that they've spread, they've contributed to, which is what's interfering with the Second Amendment, not the common sense laws that uh, the majority of the public supports. Right. Michael, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We will post a link to your article in the conversation from our website. Good luck to you. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. My guest is Michael Siegel, visiting professor in the Department of Public Health and Community Medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.